The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Kia ora, I'm Jane Yee and welcome to This is Kiwi, a podcast series brought to you by Kiwi Bank and the Spin-Off Podcast Network. In this series, I'll meet with incredible New Zealanders who've achieved remarkable things, uncovering what makes them tick and the influences that have helped to shape their ideas. Most importantly, This is Kiwi will bring you knowledge for better. The incredible power of determination, passion and self-belief that we can all learn from and apply to our own lives every day. So join me on this unique journey as we celebrate the Kiwi spirit and learn what it takes to make a difference. This is Kiwi, where ordinary people do extraordinary things. All the conversations I've had on the show have been honestly amazing, but this one, well, it's a bit special. My guest today is Kiwi Bank's New Zealander of the Year for 2023, Dr. Rangi Matamoa, a shining star in the realm of Indigenous knowledge. Hailing from Naituhui, he holds the esteemed position of Professor of Mataranga Māori at Massey University. And the timing for this kōrero couldn't be better. As we look up to Matariki this week, there's no one who knows more about the significance of this celebration than Rangi. In fact, the reason it's now a fixture on our public holiday calendar, well, that's largely thanks to Rangi, who was chief advisor to the government on Maturanga Matariki. Rangi is passionate about sharing knowledge, and while his understanding of this cluster of stars is unparalleled, his knowledge extends far beyond into other realms. For example, living by the Maramataka and food sovereignty. And just in case you are in any doubt about Rangi's credentials, it's worth noting he's been honoured with the Prime Minister's Science Communication Prize, the Callaghan Medal for Science Communication, and he's a Fellow of the Royal Society Te Aparangi. In other words, I'm in some pretty esteemed company today. Talking with Rangi, it's easy to see why he's a communication expert, as he has such a beautiful, calming presence about him. And he has this delightful cheekiness that makes a conversation with him kind of like talking to your favourite uncle. His approachable manner combined with his passion and wisdom makes for a truly powerful korero. I know you're going to enjoy this one. Here's Dr. Rangi Matamoa on This is Kiwi. Kia ora, Dr. Rangi Matamoa. It's so wonderful to have you in the studio for This is Kiwi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We've tried to get you in, but you've been a busy guy. Yeah, yeah, it's this time of year is pretty flat out for me, so... um, no, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Hey, you are um, arguably the most extraordinary person in Aotearoa, <laughs> according to Kiwi Bank, New Zealander of the Year 2023. Yeah, I, I don't even think I was the favourite child in the house. I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too sure if that's true. How did we end up here? <laughs> I hope that's on your business card, by the way. Most, most extraordinary person in Aotearoa. You know, I don't even have business cards. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dying art form, isn't it? <laughs> Hey, listen, you are um, you're a very accomplished man, and it's a true honour to have you in here, especially during the week of Matariki. It's going to be a very busy week for you. Um, I want to start by saying, Manawatia a Matariki. Kia And tell me, where did your fascination with astronomy start? I ha- I'm going to have to catch myself not to say astrology. Does you, do people do that? They do. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm always saying, look, it's... Oh, well, Traditionally, if you go all the way back, astronomy and astrology, pretty much the same thing. Right. You know, all cultures practiced, you know, uh, uh, looking at the stars and understanding uh, the the science of it, but also weaving it into, you know, um, beliefs and even religion. 
it's been a more recent time we've separated it and yeah. people look at astrology like you know, you know uh, voodoo <laughs> i suppose <laughs> but um no I, I mostly deal with astronomy but actually my my fascination and it started with with watching sci-fi. Right. You know how we, you were talking about uh, reality TV? Yeah, we were talking about reality TV <laughs> offline. We were talking about the real serious stuff. Um, but my um, one of my things is I love sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, I grew up and probably the old, oldest person, maybe even listening to the podcast, um, in the 70s and 80s. And it was really the emergence of some of the foundational um, sci-fi shows. I grew up with like Buck Rogers, and, right. um, Doctor Who, Blake Seven, I'm not too many sure if many people, <laughs> Sapphire and Steel, some of these. Talk Star Wars and Star Trek <laughs> and I'm on board. Well, when Star Wars came in, what I loved about those programs is there are some, um, I guess, science that underpins it, like light speed and phases and teleportation, but it's wrapped around narrative mm. and I love the stories. And so watching it with my dad, and then as I got older, just had a natural fascination and connection to to that um, space. But your, your, your granddad played, played a big role here, right? Well, for the, um, you know, that Māori element, I didn't know that my family had a legacy in the space. Quite the um, legacy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just grew up as a normal kid in Levin. So I um, grew up in the Horofenua region and loved growing up. I had my grandparents and my parents and my siblings. And But it was when I went to second year in university and Matariki was started to be talked about back then. Mm. Sort of been 93. I come home, I said to my grandfather, you uh, know anything about this stuff? And off he went to his um, room and he came back with a 400-page manuscript that he just dumped on my lap and written from the year 1898 to 1933. Far out. And he said, there you go. And it had um, 987 stars, 105 constellations, all their meanings, their narratives, their when they rise, what they mean, when they set. It was, it's an incredible document that was given to me and, and he just told me, find a way to share it. So that's pretty much what's led to any, you know, the work that I've, I'm involved with. It's a good thing you enjoy it because if you didn't and you got saddled with that find a way to share this, you'd be like, oh, granddad, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> well, it was, it was kind of like, you know, it wasn't until he was on his deathbed because when I f he first gave it to me, I, I just had it. I thought, oh, it's just for personal interest and yeah. I just really got into it and I loved it. But it was on his deathbed. I think he realised, look, he said to me that, if, you know, Knowledge that isn't shared isn't knowledge. And his whole point was that if, um, you know, I didn't find a way to share some of that knowledge, that um, it would be lost and be worthless. And so I think he had an idea that there would be benefits for all people through the sharing of knowledge. And so, yeah, that's, um, I've kind of used that as a mantra all my life, really. There are a lot of people who would think uh, sharing knowledge is telling your mates, maybe telling your whānau, you know, um, good stories at parties, <laughs> round, round the dinner table, but you've really gone to the nth degree here <laughs> and made this your life. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been really lucky to have been mentored by some key individuals in my life. My grandfather, I've had um, people like... Um, Sir Professor Potemara, 
um, you know, Wharehuia Milwa, some of these really giants mm. in Te Ao Māori and um, Mason Jury, um, one of others. Um, but I'm lucky I've had awesome people around me. And, yeah, I suppose I'm still on that journey of, you know, finding ways to disseminate knowledge. And are you still also gaining knowledge as you go? Always, always. In fact, that's probably the bigger element of it. I probably learn more off others than I probably share quite often. You know, people come in and we talk and um, that process of learning. I think sharing and learning go hand in hand. You've been um, responsible for advising the government around Matariki, which is now a public holiday, which is no small thing. <laughs> you can't just get a public holiday for any old thing these days. It might start for many as a day off work, which is nice. Um, but actually the opportunity there in the discourse is for people to come to understand over time. And I think, you know, within a few years, we're really going to see that grow and grow. But it's off It's off to a really nice start from what you've observed. It is. Um, it's really important that we kind of keep it out of the politics. Yeah. Um, and not have it at a political football. But it's the first reintroduced Indigenous holiday anywhere in the world. I think we should be really, I am, I'm super proud of that. And as a nation, I'm, I'm so proud that the fact that we can bring something so special and unique to where we are, something that's connected to our past, back to play a role in who we are today. Your face lights up when you talk about this. <laughs> it lights up like a star. <laughs> it really does. Well, it's just it means, so. I mean, I've dedicated my life to it. Yeah. And um, when I think there was a moment for me when we finished the, you know, the, the karakia, when we launched the holiday at Te Papa last year and it was being broadcast um, right across I think 400,000 people tuned in live. You know, it was pretty um, significant. And then to come away from that, and then I was interviewed straight on live television, and uh, my good friends uh, Stacey Morrison and yep. Martai Smith and said, well, how are you feeling? And in that moment, my memories of my grandfather just come flooding back, and I thought to myself, oh, I think he'd be pretty chuffed with um, what we've all pulled off here. So I thought about him and had a reflection of of how um, I think it's a significant turning point in who we are as a nation. It's a moment in our history that we'll reflect back on and say, yeah, maybe we came of age in that moment where we stopped thinking that to be Aotearoa or we had to reflect someone else's values or someone else's identity, mm. we're enough. You know, We are us and we should celebrate that. And yet there's still... Oh, there's still pushback. There's still so much racism, you know, like, let's be real. Um, why do we need this holiday? You know, this is a Māori holiday. It's not for everyone in Aotearoa. What do you say to those people? Um, uh, I'm going to get myself into a bit of trouble here, but I'm, I'm hoping that I, I do see that um, pushback sometimes. It is a few and far between. It's a loud minority. I go out into mainstream schools, I look around and look at all cultures thinking about matariki and relating it to themselves. You know, yeah, it, it is, begins in a, in a, from a Māori, you know, worldview, but it's starting to be shared. And uh, matariki is more than just being a Māori holiday. It's it's an Aotearoa-wide mm -hmm. celebration and just the way that the younger generation are picking it up and learning about it, 
you know, I, that's that for me is is where we should focus. I mean, the naysayers and those people that are freaked out about, it, I don't know if you ever changed their mind, and I don't really know if I'm worried about wasting my time on mm. them. But there's this massive um, group of rangatahi, diverse, complex, um, vibrant. I think that's where our focus should be. I probably learnt um, most about Matariki from my children coming home from school originally, you know. What do they do? Uh, they do, they, they have all sorts, you know, they, they, they sing waiata, they learn about um, what they can do on Matariki awesome. to, to celebrate. Awesome. My kids got up very early last year. They were with their dad. They're with me this year, so I'll be getting up early as well, don't you worry. Um, but, you know, it is conversations like this that I'm having with you right now that people are listening to um, that help because I think, for me, it was just like a nice, lovely thing. You know, I didn't mm. fully understand it. I... Um, I thought it was, you know, a a lovely holiday needed at a time where we didn't yeah. have enough public holidays, which is just lovely timing. But also, as you talk about it, and I hear about this kind of, um, this, it, you know, it's it's a celebration. You know, it's not just sort of like looking back at a date in the past that was a, of significance or some monarch's birthday that's not even their birthday, and we all get a holiday for it. This is actually a reason and a day to do something. That, yeah. that has significance and has positivity. One of the things that we've orientated our entire world and our entire, I guess, cycle to fit into the Northern Hemisphere. So why is it that they celebrate New Year's and, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the middle of winter and we do it in summer? And we've just done it to fit them. You know, for Māori, the, the seasons that you are most busy is um, spring, summer and autumn when the environment is busy. Mm. And then in the winter, you're actually meant to slow down. You're meant to stop working for, it's actually an extended period of time, probably around two months. Well, you did say in your speech, didn't you, that you were yeah. going to take a couple months off from Matariki <laughs> this year. Well, uh, well, I did push the holiday to be about 10 days long, but they said, no, you get one day. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean like, it's also like connects us to our environment. So all the different stars are associated to parts of the environment. So there's environmental responsibility back with honouring Matariki. Just that slowing down, being together with family, eating too much. Yeah. Sleeping in. Yes. Indulging in in things that make you happy and pastimes. And that's what it's about. It's about resetting yourself, letting go of all of the difficulties from last year, putting a plan in for the new year and welcoming it in um, with others. And this year we put out a little booklet little booklet of um, how to celebrate Matariki if you do it in your home, if you want to. There are some karakia in both English and Māori in the booklet. Um, it's on matariki.net. You can download it and actually just read the karakia off it, tell you this is why you're saying these words, this is what they're connected to, in the hope that everyone will just naturalise it and do it how they want to do mm. it. And it's really important uh, with karakia that you... Really focus on what you're saying, you know what I mean? Don't just read the words off the page. Yeah. You focus on it, you absorb it, you put it out into the world. And so that's something that we would like to invite everyone who's listening to do. Go and download awesome. that, you know, and um, but really think about what it is that you're saying because these these words, these prayers, they're very powerful. Intent, right? It's yeah. about the intent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what are some of the things? You've talked about food. I want to hear more about food. <laughs> what do you What do you eat on Matariki? Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
what would happen is our ancestors, because um, I have nine stars in my cluster, others have seven, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter how many stars you have, the, but the important bit is we celebrate it. One of the stars is connected to the people um, who have died since the last rising, and Matariki is that moment where you call out their names, you remember them, and I've seen people, happens every year when we call out names, people weep and mourn for their loved ones, they carry photos of them, um, in all my life, the most amazing experience I've ever had was I was in the Gold Coast in Australia talking about Matariki. And I talked about how Matariki is at the prow of this massive canoe which hauls up the spirits of all of the people that have died for the year and suspends them from the from the back of the canoe. And right at this moment, as it's rising on the horizon before the sun, in the new year, marking the new year, we believe the captain of the canoe takes those spirits and scatters them across the, st- the sky to become stars for eternity. And we remember those people and we call out their names. And this young girl, she would have only been about eight or nine at the end. She hung around for the presentation and waited right to the end. And she asked me, she said, look, is my dad on that canoe? And it really rocked me. Mm. And it was, she was the last one there. And my sisters were with me and her mum was with me. Her dad had not re- just recently passed away and I said, what do you think? She said, oh, I think he is because I've got something to say to him before I let him go. And I said, well, you speak your words. And I think of all the things I've done in that moment to realise that that traditional ceremony and belief meant something to her in, uh, in our, in, you know, today and for her to practice that and have a belief that she could talk to him and send him on his journey to become a star, I really, it's, I'd still talk about that today and it kind of moves me, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's uh, so, uh, the different stars, and there's one for fresh water and salt water, forest and earth, one stars for our hopes and desires for the new year, one's for wind and one's for rain, and all of these environmental spaces and domains and cultural domains feed into our well-being and Matariki is about the star that marks all of these elements that feed into our well-being that launch our year in the time where we reflect on who we are, who we hope to be, what our plans are, um, who are the most important people to us. We sit down, we feast together and um, like me, we just get fatter and fatter every matariki. <laughs> I love it. I'm planning on eating everything as well. That, that story that you've just told is, um, it's beautiful, it's heartbreaking. I have twins who are around that age, and I just think if um, if anything awful happened and they had the opportunity to, I don't know, to get a sense of not closure because you never you never get closure from mm, when you mm. lose someone so dear to you, mm. but maybe a sense of peace about being able to say what you need to say. I'm sure she'll remember that forever. Well, I'll remember it forever. Yeah, and I think of all of the accolades, that was the most important one for me. This little nine year old girl in Australia, um, just wanting to connect to her dad, and I thought, wow. And and then she said, and, and I remember this, you know, oh, because he'll always be a star, right? And he said, oh, he'll always be a star, honey. And she said, oh, well, that's good, because he'll always be around. Yeah. Oh, cool. Always looking down. That's so, that's very, very sweet. 
tell me about how, um, you know, again, we've talked a lot about Matariki, but Matariki is, is part of the Maramataka, which is, you know, the lunar calendar. And uh, that's hugely significant as well. And something that you obviously are balancing with this, you know, traditional Gregorian calendar that we that we use um, in society generally. Mm. So how do you, how, tell me a little bit first of all about the Maramataka and then, and then tell me a little bit about how you balance, you know, existing in both. So um, the Maramataka is often described as a lunar calendar. But it's actually an environmental calendar. Okay, I take that back. And no, thank no, you for you're right. Me. Most people do that um, because Marama is obviously moon. But um, like the lunar phases and the changing lunar phases, I'll say, yeah, it's a great day to plant today. Well, not if it's the middle of winter. Mm. So you've got to take all of these other factors into account position of the sun, the pre dawn rising of stars, flowering of trees, migration of birds, spawning of fish, all of it. Sounds a lot like science to me, by the way. It is science, but it's kind of into this beautiful rhythm of time where the environment dictates to you when it's ready. Unlike the Gregorian Western solar calendar that only worries about our journey around the sun, and we actually dictate to the environment when we're ready, right? We say, oh, we want New Year's on the 1st of um, Jan because we're ready, regardless of the position of the sun whether it's the solstice, regardless of what lunar phase it is, that's when we're ready. And so um, I think um, what most cultures around the world, it's not a Western calendar really, because most of everyone around the world followed lunar calendars mm. pretty much. It was the Romans they introduced this period, uh, this, this timekeeping, and particularly um, Julius Caesar. So it became the Julian calendar was improved upon by Pope Gregory Thirteenth, so it became the Gregorian calendar, and we're following it today. And it helps to universalise time, particularly for things like industry. But it is terrible when you're trying to connect to your environment and your unique environment. So, yeah, it, um, it's this environmental calendar that you sink into and so important for understanding culture and people think well we can't you know because i had this actually um question raised i uh, like well how do you work out the date because you're saying that you know matariki date shifts every year mm. right it's too difficult can't follow how can we do that that's not a modern calendar system and my response was to the person who asked me do you eat easter eggs <laughs> they were like what i said do you eat easter eggs they said, yes. I said, you understand Easter shifts, right? Every year, up and down the calendar. You understand why? And the person said, no. And I said, because it's based on a Jewish lunar calendar system. It's exactly the same <coughs> as Matariki. It will shift up and down the calendar system pretty much across a month, just like Easter. And so um, my, I guess, goal is to try and help people run parallel calendar systems. So we will know what date we are in our Gregorian calendar. We also know what um, lunar phase of what lunar month and the activities that are related to that environmentally driven system of time we're in. I think the beauty about that is it really helps us connect to our natural world mm. and take some responsibility for the stuff that's happening in our environment. Really, I mean, a very basic way for, for me to kind of think about that is when we go into the supermarket and we're like, oh, why is zucchini so expensive? And it's because they're out of season, and we don't respect that. 
we don't respect that. We want our zucchinis. We don't want to pay that much for it. And so they're being imported from places where, you know, and, and there's a cost to the environment for all that just because we want to have our fruit and veg all year, all of them all year round. And I think that's a really simplified example. No, it's a great you know? example. It is. I mean, the question is, well, why aren't we growing our own zucchinis? Yeah. You know, even growing in, in vertical gardens, you know, people are growing stuff off their walls. Um, inside, I mean, there's so much um, development going in that space. Why are we importing stuff that we could just grow here? And it helps us connect back to the environment. And we're not because society has driven us away from doing those kinds of things to be focused on um, being reliant on other people growing our food. And um, wasn't that long ago, parents' generation perhaps, and definitely before them, everyone had gardens. Mm. Everyone grew food. And now it's different because we've been, in my belief, purposely led away from doing that to allowing other people to feed us. And it concerns me because what that does is it makes the environment over there. Yeah. You know, and we're living over here and we're not connected. It's the same as I have an issue, you know, and Matariki really brings us out in my beliefs as well with the idea of climate change. I don't think we should focus on climate change. We need to focus on people change. Who in their right minds thinking, well, let's change the climate, right? It's not a climate change issue. It's a people change issue. Yeah. So by connecting, we take on more responsibility for what we do. Mm. Um, interesting. We talk, when you talk about, you know, our parents' generation, my dad was actually a market gardener. and uh, Did he, you work in the gardens? I didn't. I, he went out of it when I was three, but okay. yeah. So um, I just, I just skipped that. And it's sort of hard labour aspect <laughs> of my childhood. Um, <clears throat> but uh, he went into insurance, which is, is something else <laughs> altogether. But it's, I just find it interesting because it's really ingrained in him. So even now he's nearly ninety, and he still has his garden. He's wow. still growing his veg, and he will never stop. It will be, you know, it'll be the last thing he puts his hands to before he leaves this earth. Um, he, and it is that sort of uh, that's that's so lost now, mm. you know that that's just part of everyone's everyday thing mm. is to grow your own food. And yep, there's a lot of kind of trends around, you know, veggie pods and so on that kind of thing. But there, there's there's a fear in me that um, we are losing that, especially with dense. I'm not I'm not suggesting that you know housing density isn't have its positives. But what are some of the ways that we can kind of tap into that, um, tap into that environmental knowledge to make sure that we don't lose it altogether? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, like I was saying before, that there's been some wonderful, um, even with population density, you know, with communal gardens, mm -hmm. with hanging gardens, with vertical gardens, with rooftop gardens, um, people are finding um, new ways to grow things, um, uh, you know, I go to some people's houses and even indoors they'll have the odd tomato plant here and there. I, I just think by doing those things and then eating um, those things and they become part of your diet, it, that that connection, mm. that connection and association to actually plant food, life, um, therefore there needs to be some connection between I need to ensure that there's clean water, that there's good soil, that I'm taking care of, that little plant, which is, represents a much bigger part of the environment. Um, but we have become estranged from our environment. It's really sad, you know. We, 
that, that, because I think what we've done with food in particular is we have turned it into a commodity. Mm. We've taken away the mana of food for me. And it has, the, yeah, Māori will say he mana tō te kai, so all food has its own mana. But we've removed that and it just becomes a point of transaction. When we think about food, we no longer think, where did who grew this? Who were the hands that grew this? Where did it come from? Um, and say thank you so much. We, The point that concerns us is how much it costs. Mm. That's all we worry about. How much does the potatoes cost? Oh, my God. We're not thinking of that was grown out of that land by these people and therefore it has a part of them within that food and we should be grateful. So there's just the mindset for me. Mm. You know, I, I think about that often. I have a really dear friend who um, recently moved from Auckland to Christchurch and doesn't, didn't know many people down there, you know, settling in as an adult in a new city is really difficult. But um, one of the things she had was a garden and mm. she started growing her own veg. And it's been amazing. She's been just absolutely, like, I can't shut her up about it. Uh, she sends me photos. <laughs> she sends me photos of some accidental things that have popped up she didn't realise, you know, um, and she's been really excited. And I've, it's given her a sense of tūranga waiwai, you know, which I think is... Um, it speaks really, you know, strongly, again, just a, a, a small example um, of the the little ways we can connect. And it's really obvious when you stop and think about it. And so to me, it's then quite obvious that we should be acknowledging the maramataka. Mm. Because if we, want to, uh, if we want to do right by each other, do right by ourselves, do right by the earth, then it's really important to be in tune with it, mm. right? Mm, absolutely, and I think the the impact of if just households had their own gardens, mm. the impact and the positive impact that would have on our environment, you know, it would have massive change. But again, there is, I guess, in many ways, a purposely driven, industry driven notion that we should be accessing our fruits and vegetables and 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 everything else that we consume through that the, the marketplace you know that's where we're mm. driven that way I'm hoping actually that you know by becoming more aware and, and matariki to have a place and, and that we can understand a little bit more about food sovereignty some of the basics not just what we where we're accessing it but actually what we're eating you know like um, Maori traditionally in lots of cultures ate a lot of more fermented foods you know, stuff that had been preserved or fermented and it's actually really good for you. It's good for gut health. Mm -hmm. We call it probiotics now, but we've eaten like that as peoples for forever. But, you know, the notion that fresher is best, well, um, I think fresh is also, I have issues around that. Yes, this is becoming a food sovereignty it podcast, is. No, isn't it? No, that's okay. Um, a large majority of the questions that I have on my, my bits of paper in front of me, I haven't even got to. And it's <laughs> probably a lot of questions that you've had in a lot of interviews before, but this is what's so fascinating. A, I think about the series that we're doing and just really digging in and getting to know people, but B, we probably were going to sit down and talk a lot about Matariki, which we have done, mm. right? But there's so much more. And there's so much more involved in your work and your understanding and you're still learning and disseminating that knowledge, which is extremely generous and we're very, very grateful for. Um, but it's this sort of uh, amazing 
example again of being able to start a conversation with something like Matariki, mm. you know, and mm. then go so much further and learn so much more because for many people, Matariki, lovely public holiday, they're going to learn a little bit about it. For me today, came here to talk about Matariki and we're ending up talking about food sovereignty, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. And that is, you know, that's knowledge at work. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything, um, are there any key messages that you would like people to take away and perhaps kind of in a, in a practical way that they can apply and particularly think about as we, uh, as we head into Matariki? Um, I, I think Matariki speaks to the best parts of who we are as, a, um, as, as people. You know, it's, it's about coming together and sharing and being in one another's company you know, you don't have to have a massive, elaborate um, ceremony. Um, it's just a time where you reflect on those people who you've lost that mean the most to you, the people that mean the most to you right now, and your hopes and wishes for them going forward. I really hope that we take it on. It becomes a part of our national identity, you know, a real pillar of, uh, of, of who we want to be. I always... Um, Try and share knowledge. I have this, I've, I've, I've thought about this for some time. I've always thought that humility and wisdom are often interchangeable. There's so much wisdom and humility and so much humility in people who have wisdom. Mm. And um, I've always tried to check myself to ensure that I'm doing things with the right intent and the right humility because uh, it can get away from you. And um, I suppose um, I've found myself in privileged places. I'm very privileged. I am so privileged. i found myself in privileged places where I've been uh, received different awards and accolades and, 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 and I'm very humble by it all. But I've always thought to myself that it is never about the individual. It is always about the kaupapa. And for me, knowledge, and in particular, what we've been able to do collectively around Matariki, that's where the focus will be. My time's fleeting. I'm in, I'm in and out. Um, but Matariki and its values is what I really hope people take away from anything that I'm involved in and, and really what echoes for generations throughout our nation. Thank you so much. Kilda. I just want to mihi to you for sharing your knowledge with us today. Really, really appreciate it. This is Knowledge. This is Dr. Rangi Matamua. This is Kiwi. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.